Hi, this is Jim Lyon. You're listening to Viewpoint. And this week, just before Easter, with me today, Kimberly Majeski. Hi, Jim. Happy Easter almost, Kimberly. Yes, happy Easter almost to you. Okay, now when you're growing up, or even now as the beautiful young woman that you are. Very young. What's your favorite Easter treat? There must be one. <laughs> you know what it is. No, what? The Cadbury egg. I'm like you that way. I'm so glad to hear that because, you know, not everyone's a fan. No. Some people think it's just a little bit too squishy and they prefer a marshmallow oh, peep. I love the hard outside shell and the soft inside oh. cream. You are so bright. Uh, no dive. doubt about it. It's texture <laughs> and taste together. Mm-hmm. And actually, a Cadbury egg is a wonderful, very material expression of the Easter time in my growing up, my lifetime. And today, we're going to continue a series here in Viewpoint about the very physical nature of Easter, because you and I both know that as Easter comes around each year, people see it in many different ways. For some, it's a time to just think about tulips and hyacinths uh, in the northern hemisphere where we live. (laughs) In the southern hemisphere, of course, it's the dawn of another season besides spring. But Easter has been framed by the northern hemisphere in our thinking, and we see it as a time of new life, and there are all kinds of analogies and metaphors and beautiful Hallmark cards that people send. (laughs) But honestly, Easter is about something very concrete, very physical, very touchable, very tasteable in a way. That's right. That's the resurrection of Jesus, the physical, not just the spiritual, but the physical resurrection of Jesus. There are many stories in the New Testament about Jesus in his resurrected physical body, In these weeks before Easter, we're just visiting four of those. And today, one of the most important and famous and, Mm -hmm. I think, instructive passages of Scripture about how we can understand the resurrected Christ. Stay with us. Kimberly, when I say the word Easter, just give me some images. Oh, lavender, daffodils... Fried chicken. <laughs> There's yeah. a leap. Daffodils to fried chicken. You must be from the South. I am. And, you know, Easter is my very favorite holiday. And it always means, yeah, um, all of nature is kind of waking up. You get a new dress. You uh, have this wonderful family gathering. And um, I'm a person who practices Lent. So by the time Easter rolls around, I am ready to walk into the new light. And Lent, of course, is a season when people prepare themselves and discipline themselves sometimes with Mm self-denial. And that makes the celebration all the sweeter when you get to the Easter day. You know, when I was growing up, I lived near a cemetery. And uh, at Easter time in Seattle in the cemetery, there was always a spectacular array of flowers. I mean, the Mm -hmm. cemetery itself was like a park. And they always planted just fields and fields of Mm -hmm. bulbs. And they were always in bloom at Easter, you know. So you'd go over there. And as a child, I would play there with my Mm -hmm. friends all the grass and so on, and these tulips. And then the idea of Easter Sunday morning, and the cemetery was a place where they had a yeah. sunrise service. Did they you had, go to the I did too? The, yeah. Yeah, they had a little chapel in the mm-hmm. cemetery, and I can remember clearly the, the break of day and yes. so on. And we think of Easter as a kind of morning time because the Easter story unfolds on Sunday morning, the first mm-hmm. day of the week. It's why Christians still meet together on the first day of the week, the That's Lord's right. Day, the Resurrection Day. But one of the most famous stories of Easter actually takes place later than that first Easter Sunday. And it's it's an evening story. It's not a morning story. And it's about the disciples gathering together and the appearance of Jesus having been raised from the dead in the evening. And that intersection is especially famous because of a guy named Thomas. Thomas, Oh, boy, doubting Thomas. We've all heard the phrase. (laughs) And his whole labeling comes from this one moment. That's right. 
The story's captured in John chapter 20. Kimberly, I'm going to ask you if you'd read for us these sure. verses. This is John chapter 20, verses 24 to 30. And it talks about this appearance to Thomas for the first time of Jesus having been raised from the dead. This is the word of God, and this is what it says. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound into my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. And then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Then Thomas and the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous things in addition to the ones recorded in this book. This narrative is, I think, one of the most dramatic in the whole of the New Testament. Mm -hmm. It's filled with uh, surprise, with drama, with resolution, with questions, with doubt, and with faith. I mean, they're all mixed up in the few lines you've just read to us. You know, Kimberly, you and I have both together traveled to the Holy Land. We've been in (laughs) Israel. And in the city of Jerusalem, there's a place called the Upper Room. Yes. Mm -hmm. No one knows for sure uh, if that's exactly the address where these events took place, but Mm -hmm. tradition and history have suggested that it was in this space, this Upper Room space, that Mm -hmm. the disciples gathered as Jesus was crucified, Mm -hmm. and it was in this space that he first appeared to them on that first Easter Sunday evening. Mm -hmm. And where this story takes place some days after that, Mm -hmm. also in this room, some have believed that it was where the Holy Spirit as recorded in the Acts of the Apostles, descended on the disciples. We we just don't know for sure if this is the location, but you and I have been in a room Mm -hmm. that has a little bit of a Gothic arch to it, but the floor Mm -hmm. dates back to this ancient time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as you stand there and think about being in a room, closed in, locked up, not sure what to expect, Mm -hmm. and and the people have already had different journeys. I mean, some of the people in that room have already seen Jesus alive, Mm -hmm. and they're all for it. Amazed, not sure what to happen next, but right. but they're already believing in the resurrection. Some of the people in the room, certainly Thomas, mm-hmm. have not seen Jesus. And for all the testimony and witness of their friends, they still just can't get there. It's too over the top. It's too beyond human experience. Of course it is. I mean, imagine what they had seen and uh, had experienced during the crucifixion. But let's be clear, according to the text... All of the disciples, the male disciples, that is, except for John, leave the foot of the cross and are huddled in this upper room, sort of afraid for their lives, that they'll be the next folks pursued. Victims, as it were. Right. Uh, So there's a lot of fear, there's uncertainty, there's doubt. I imagine a great deal of disappointment. And maybe some shame. Yeah. and, And Thomas... I appreciate his words here because he's honest about that, <laughs> right? He's very upfront mm-hmm. and wrestling. Yeah. And I guess the story has real legs for us even today because mm-hmm. we're wrestling too. Mm-hmm. And as you listen today, we want you to know that as Jesus appears to Thomas and the other disciples in that room, that story is recorded for us to speak 
not just to somebody else, but to you. When we come back, we're going to look at what it teaches us about the resurrected Jesus and how he relates to us. Spirit, come and change the atmosphere. Convict and open hearts to the anthems that the angels sing. The worship of the King of Kings for Jesus Oh,
As you're listening to our broadcast today, you might have a question or a thought, maybe a comment you want to share, and we want you to know we're always glad to hear from you. And we actually have a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week, toll-free telephone number that you can dial. That number is 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439. We'll pick up the phone. We'll give you the number again at the close of the broadcast. But even now, just know, this is an interactive program, and we are so glad to have you reach out to us. Kimberly, as we think about the story of Jesus appearing to Thomas in that room, some days, and probably a week after that first Easter Sunday, there's some things that are clear for us that we can hold on to. There are many mysteries about the resurrected Christ. Let's just put that on the table. Mm -hmm, For sure. We can't figure it all out. We don't know everything, but there are some things that we do know. And I think the scripture has been preserved for us. This story has been recorded for us because of specific truths that we should hold on to right now, even as there are some questions for which we don't have easy answers. You know, the book of John itself, uh, over and over again in the Greek, uh, the word that shows up is uh, this pistuo, this belief. So, and, and we told right here in verse 30, right, um, these uh, facts are recorded here, and they're recorded so that you will believe. These stories are given to us so that we have something to build our house upon, our lives upon. And to build it on faith. Right. And that's part of the story. The first thing that we can know with certainty is that this resurrected Jesus is not a ghost. It's not some ethereal spirit, some three-dimensional projection. He's real, flesh and blood. And it's so clear that the disciples are startled by his presence because it's so tactile. And as we think about Easter, never forget that the gospel promises that Jesus is the first fruit of those who die and rise from the dead. In other words, he's first. He's made a way. Mm. All of us understand the reality of death. You may have been touched by death because a loved one has passed away. It's waiting for all of us in time. And the promise of the gospel is, even though you die, you can come back to life, but not just as a spirit, that there's a a day, there's a moment where you'll have a new resurrection body like the one Jesus has in this room. I'm so glad you're lifting this out um, because I think this is very instructive about uh, about the resurrection, right? Part of the belief of the Messiah is that uh, he will shatter death. And so it was important for Jesus to come back in his physical body. For the Hebrews, uh, the notion of spirit uh, doesn't really exist. We talk about soul and body being separate. For, this, for the Hebrews, your whole body gets up out of the ground and lives. And that's what we have here in the story of Jesus. His hands and feet and face and blood and veins walking again, eating and drinking and communing once again with his friends. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, he's pulling together those concepts. Exactly, It's a holistic, Mm -hmm. it's a whole approach. And we need to know that we have the promise as we surrender our lives into Christ, that our resurrection, our eternal life, is not just a piece of ourselves. That's right. It is whole. That's right. But having said that, the resurrection body of Jesus isn't exactly like the one into which he was first entering into this world. Because in this instance, he transcends the physical barriers of the room. Mm -hmm. The doors are locked. Uh, There seems to be no other entrance, and suddenly he appears. Now, it could be argued he had a key or he climbed through the window or lowered down through the roof. But I think the implication (laughs) of the text is clearly that somehow the resurrection body, while it's very material, 
also operates in a kind of plane or dimension Supernatural, that, yes, realm. Mm -hmm. that defies our limitations right. in our present body. And again, that's the promise that we have. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have a resurrection body someday that will be the same. Mm -hmm. Here's another truth. Jesus showed up and it was a surprise. <laughs> I mean, sometimes we need to remember this. Right. Jesus can take us by surprise. Mm -hmm. And you may be listening today and wondering, where is he? And when's he going to show up? And will mm -hmm. he ever show up? And I don't believe he even exists. Mm -hmm. But I promise you, you can wrestle with doubt. You, may, you can be uncertain as Thomas was. And he can show up. Mm -hmm. And his presence, the reality of his power and presence can take your breath away and surprise you. And these disciples, these followers of Jesus, if anyone should have not been surprised, they should not have been, but they were. Mm -hmm. And if they're surprised, we'll be too. For sure. I love that. Um, I had a New Testament professor used to tell me, Jim, Jesus always shows up. So this place where Thomas needed him most, this place where... You know, we could think about it being he's doubtful, he has weak faith. No matter, Jesus showed up for him, came through for him in the place and in the way he needed him to. And in fact, here's an important lesson. It was upon the expression of his doubts, mm -hmm. his honest owning mm -hmm. of his struggle, that Jesus appeared. Sometimes we imagine that Jesus will only appear after we already cross the bridge. Right. <laughs> and in fact, he wants to help walk us across the bridge. That's right. And I love that as he appears, he doesn't come down with a smackdown mm -hmm. for Thomas. What does he say? He says, peace. Peace be with you. When Jesus shows up, his purpose is to bring you peace mm -hmm. and blessing. Now, it may stir you up. It may cause you some trouble in the near term because you may not be looking for or receptive to his peace and blessing, but his intention is to walk into your world, into your room, and bring you peace mm -hmm. and to bring you a blessing. I'm also struck by the resurrected Jesus always produces, he provokes a testimony, a witness. I mean, it's impossible to really intersect with the living Christ and not have some kind of testimony or witness. So even before he shows up in the room, the disciples who have already seen him are telling right. Thomas, we've seen the Lord. Right. They can't talk about anything else because it's so startling, it's so amazing, mm -hmm. it's so life-giving. Mm -hmm. And of course, as Thomas sees Jesus and, and meets the resurrected Christ, he also begins to have a word of testimony. That's right. And it is the most profound of testimonies. What does he say? My Lord and my God, he confesses, yeah. And this is a big step. Mm -hmm. This is not just, whoa, Jesus, that's pretty amazing, or look at that. No, this is acknowledgement of the divinity of Christ. Mm -hmm. He is both Lord and Master, and he is God. He's not an extension of, or a prophet of, or some kind of hologram of. No, he is God. Mm -hmm. And this is probably the supreme testimony of the whole New Testament, because when you get to see Jesus and you know in a jaw-dropping way, Jesus is my Lord, and he is my God, you have captured the sum of who he is. Mm -hmm. This is important here uh, for Thomas, uh, and you know you talk about the other disciples have seen him, and that it's called out of us a witness, and that's the reason you and I are sitting here today because the witness, the testimony of these people who saw Jesus, and the stories then across the ages. These men and women, um, the twelve we know, are all persecuted, except for as far as we know, um, persecuted unto death, except for John and face that 
And the only reason I think they're able to do that is because they had an encounter with the resurrected Christ. I don't think that uh, we would still be sitting here if something earth-shattering, supernatural, entirely uh, world-altering hadn't happened. Jesus did not march across the world with an army to make his teaching credible, Mm. which is the normative way. He enjoyed no political power and no social station. He had no wealth. And yet his teaching is the most enduring and transformative of any ever heard. And it is the resurrection Mm -hmm. that empowers and facilitates that. And as we think about that teaching, I'm also drawn to the reality that Jesus in his resurrected state, having triumphed over the grave, having stared hell in its face, having done what no other person could do and broken the last vestige of darkness in human experience, he's overcome the grave. Having done all that, he's still very sympathetic to the doubts of Thomas. Mm -hmm. Thomas is never reproved. Mm -hmm. He is met exactly where he is, and Jesus says, essentially, I understand. Mm -hmm. Here, touch me, Mm -hmm. see me, and feel me. As it were, taste me. I, I want you to have no doubt, Thomas, and It's very important for us to understand that Jesus understands our doubt. And yes, it's hard. It's hard to overcome our natural reticence, our experiential fear of death, and the reality that we have not touched the hands of Jesus physically. Mm -hmm. But Jesus understands that. And he even addresses it in this passage because he knows that Thomas has an opportunity that you, Kimberly, and I have not had Mm -hmm. and probably will not have. And that is that physical touch. And yet the Lord honors us Mm -hmm. because he tells us that we are blessed for believing without that journey. Yeah, and I find in this passage great comfort. Uh, You know, I think for some of us, we think uh, that it is uh, poor faith if we have questions, um, that we aren't good Christians if we have weak faith, or that we can't become Christians because we just can't put it all together. And what this story teaches us is that's not true. Jesus understands our questions, our doubts, and he's big enough to handle them. He even anticipated um, that there would be those who would come after Thomas who would need to believe and not be able to see them. He loves us too. He's here for us too. And that word was exactly for us here now. If you're listening today, be encouraged because as Easter rolls around, you may yourself wonder, is that Jesus story really solid? Yes. Jesus did miraculous signs in his resurrected body. He demonstrated his supernatural power even after he rose from the grave. He has not changed one bit from the time he first walked into this world. And even though he is not physically present, the promise of his physical return is sure and certain. And in the meantime, you listening today, Kimberly and I speaking today, all are blessed as we believe. Take a step and take a chance. As it were, almost metaphorically, reach out your hand as if to touch the living Christ. He will meet you. And he may not meet you in the way he did Thomas, but he will meet you just the same, I promise you. He's in the business of bringing you peace, and he wants to meet you even at your point of doubt. You'll have to be in the room, though. You can't be absent. You're going to have to take a moment and take a chance. Why was Thomas there? Because he wondered. If you wonder, stand in the room with us now and pray. Our Father, we're so thankful today for the story of Jesus and more, that it's not just a story, it is a history. 
We're thankful for the power of the living Christ, and we come to you in his name. And for everyone listening today, Lord, who may be tracked by doubt, who may wonder if it is too much to believe that Jesus has risen from the dead, ascended to the Father, and is coming back again. For everyone who is joining us in this prayer, I ask, Lord, that you will meet them at their point of need and their point of doubt. Reassure them supernaturally in some extraordinary way that as they reach for you, as they gather together with others who have already met you and seen you and believe, as they are this Easter bowing before you, open to the idea that Jesus lives. I pray, Lord, that you will disclose yourself to them in an unmistakable way and cement their faith. Even if we cannot touch Jesus physically, may we be touched by him in a transformative way. We admit our sin. We acknowledge, Lord, that we are not good enough, that we could not live well enough, but that by your son's death on the cross, our sin can be erased and our souls made new and our futures made bright. And so we surrender to you in his name and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wherever you are today as Easter comes up next, we hope that you'll take a moment and let us hear from you. Once more, our telephone number, toll-free, 24 hours and seven days a week, is 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439. And Kimberly, if they prefer not to call but would rather find us online, what's our address? cbhviewpoint.org. You can visit us there, send us a message, and we'll respond. Or the last, if you prefer, use Surface Mail. Just write me a letter. Address it to Jim Lyon, Viewpoint, Post Office Box 2420, Anderson, Indiana, 46018, USA. But by whatever method you choose, let us hear from you this week. Kimberly, I know that you are disciplining yourself until the Easter day. <laughs> but on. on that day, on just that know day. it's coming close. Those Cadbury <laughs> eggs have your name on them. That's right. Mine too. We thank you for being with us today, listening to Viewpoint. We hope you'll join us again next week as we celebrate the Easter week with another glimpse, another story, another truth. As we celebrate the Easter week with another passage in the New Testament that speaks about the power of the literally resurrected Jesus Christ the Lord. Until then, for all of us at the Viewpoint team, for all of us at Church of God Ministries, which is the host of our broadcast, this is Jim Lyon. Stay tuned.